Right, we are kicking off a new series today, and I'm excited about it because this topic is so close to my heart, and it's so real to our lives, and I believe that it's going to be useful. Uh, and I don't know about you, but if you've ever had someone around you, and it only like takes a little bit to like wind them up, and then all of a sudden they just start going, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you know, and it's just like that, that little thing, and then their, their, their mouth, it just goes, and it goes, and it goes. But I want to warn you, like today's series that we're stepping into, it's not, it's not about the other person, it's about us. Because we've all had our moments where something wound us up and then all of a sudden we went, and maybe it was a little bit longer than that, and it, and it kind of ran, and our mouth began to do things that we, our mind and our heart said, our, it probably shouldn't be saying that right now. That's probably not really well received. This is probably not the best thing for the situation, but nonetheless, there it went. And once the words are out there, they're out there. And, and today, I, I need you to, to say the title of the series with me, because I need to make sure that we're on the same page as far as what it says. Uh, you, you can repeat after me, me and my big mouth. Say it with me. Me and my big mouth. One more time, with honesty and enthusiasm, me and my big mouth. Very good. That is what this is about today. This is not the appropriate series to grab the message online and tag someone in and say, hey, this is for you, all right? That's not the way to get the message to them. You know, you, you can share it on your, your page and say, this was good for me and hope it gets to their ears, whatever, that's fine. But realize this is a message for, for your heart, not for someone else. This isn't for your wife. Don't be nudging your husband. Don't be thinking about your mother-in-law. This is for you, all right? All right, that's where we are. All right, today the, the passage that we're going to be studying together is found in the book of James. And so if you have your Bible, you can open up to the book of James, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 22. And we'll, of course, project the words on the screen so you can read along. And we're going to go through verse by verse as we study this together today, starting in verse 19. And it says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, now, this is a good word, and this is something that is just like that right there. Like, you can take that and run with it and almost be done with church for the day. If you can just grab this small idea and apply it to the way that you interact with people. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Sometimes our response is what causes the issue, and sometimes it's just words before you understand what's happening in the room can cause the issue. Now, our church is a year and a half old, and I, you know, I'm a church planter, I'm a pastor, I've been in pastoral ministry for a while, but this whole planting a church thing is still new to me. So what I love to do is I love to get around guys who are just off the charts gifted and successful and steal everything from them that I can. And so that, that's, that's the way that I learn. And one of the great opportunities that I had is I got to sit around with a guy named Aaron Burke, who's the lead pastor of Radiant Church in Tampa. And this church is a church of thousands. And I got invited to this event where it was at Top Golf, and I didn't really care about golf yet, so I just, I'm with him, and I can barely swing the golf club, but I'm able to sit and ask him questions, and I'm loving this. And there's another guy there who's with me, who's a friend of mine, and we're talking church planning stuff, and my friend Scotty, he, he thinks it's hilarious that I put out like 20 A-frame signs for the church every Sunday morning. Like, he just finds that entertaining. So he said, hey, tell them how many A-frame 
signs you put out. And I'm like, well, we put out this many because we got to get people all the way from the main road to where we're at. We don't want people to get lost in Gator Circle because we'll never hear from them again. Like, it's just this endless maze back there. And so we get them there. And one of the guys next to me was, well, hey, who did you use to print those? Did you use Radiant Printing, which is like the default place that church planners go to print stuff? But I'm like ultra cheap. So I'm like, no, we, we ordered the supplies and then we carried those supplies to a printer who gave us a really good deal. Uh, and because, you know, Radiant, they're just kind of expensive. And when I said that, the guy next to me, his head kind of whipped around. And Aaron was like, I'd like to introduce you to the owner of Radiant Printing. <laughs> Radiant Printing is in Tampa. Radiant Church, Radiant Printing. There's a little bit of a relationship there if you didn't catch on to that. Like this guy is from Aaron's church and I just kind of made fun of his company. It's one of those things like, had I just taken the time to figure out every, all five of the guys that I'm standing around, I could have saved myself a little embarrassment. I could have avoided an awkward situation. But it's one of those things, like, you know, just, just that little thing. It's so easy to just throw a criticism out there on a wind. And I wasn't trying to be mean, but it was one of those things. It was definitely a critical statement of a company that does a pretty good job of keeping things cheap for church planners. And, and it's so easy for, for us to just quickly to begin putting things out there. And, and that, that, you know, that's a mild story. And I, I could definitely share you worse stories of when words came out of Paul's mouth and it wasn't what was best for the situation. But, but I really want us to wrestle with this be, because I believe that when we begin to give God authority to change the way that we speak, and it seems like such a little thing, but, you know, Jesus said, when you're faithful in the small things, then I'll trust you with the great things. When we begin to give God control of this area, I believe it unlocks so many other areas of our life. When we begin to say, I'm going to think before I say something critical. I'm going to think before I attack with my words. When, when we begin to, to do this thing where we are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, I believe it has power to change a lot more than we expect in our life and in our spiritual life and in our family life. And, and you know, so some of these thoughts today, I want to give props to, to um, Andy Stanley from North Point Church. Um, the graphic is his. And, and th this was the, he, he called this a middle school illustration that he used as he talked about this. But, but he gave this hand motion, and I want you to do it with me. And I, I'll recognize that, guys, I hate when the pastors do this stuff. I, I don't do this stuff much because I understand. But I, I want you guys to, to ball both of your fists together out in front of you. See, all the ladies are like, boom, I'm in. The guys are like, not doing this. Um, <laughs> Because this is how we get when we get upset, isn't it? I mean, it, it, we don't even think about it. When we start to argue, like our fists clench, our minds close, we're getting ready to pop somebody upside the head, like be, and that's what it is. Um, but I'm giving you this because I, I believe you're going to use it this week at, at the kitchen table, and your hands will be under there, and they'll get tensed up, and, and I want you to open them real fast and say, quick, er, quick to listen, slow to become angry. All right, close them up. Quick to listen, open them fast, slow to become angry. I, I want us to be quick to let go of offenses. I want us to be quick to hear what's going on. Because really the source of so many of our, our issues is that we have two people who, who are in a disagreement. We're in a disagreement with someone else. Let's not think of someone else. Let's think of ourselves. We get into bad situations with people that we love, people that we care about, because we so badly want them to understand what we're thinking, what we're feeling, how we see the situation, that we don't want to think about how they're seeing it. And, and so what we do is we try to interrupt what they're saying. We try to get our words in. We try to put our side of the story out there ahead of theirs because we're so convinced that once they understand our perspective, they will abandon their reasons, their thoughts, and their emotions to just agree with us. 
And it sounds ridiculous when I say it like that, but you know that when you dissect the arguments that we have, the, the, the real anger and passion that comes out is because we know that they don't see it right because they don't see it from our perspective. You know, why, why would they do that? Why would they think that? Why, why would they be that way? When in reality, what we need, to, we need to do is we need to begin to get curious about, okay, why do they really do that? I mean, if there's any teenagers in the room, you want to freak your parents out sometime in the near future, you know, wait, wait a month or two so that they forget that this came from me and then just pull this off. When they're telling you something and you disagree with them, just say calmly, Dad, I'm not on board with what you're saying yet, but I'd like to be. Could you explain to me why you think that way? And they're going to be so confused they give into you anyway because we're so used to, especially with teenagers, we know this, that everything's just emotional explosion. Like, no, I want this. No, I want this. If you begin to say, persuade me, give me your reasons. Teenager, one thing I'll tell you is you might accidentally get persuaded and understand. But the other thing is when they understand that you're letting them give input and you're letting your parents speak what they see into your life, if you guys still don't agree, it's going to be better off than it was. Because it's difficult. It's rare to find people who just accept input. I was out with a senior pastor and his youth pastor, the guy who works for him. And, and we were out and we were, I'm sorry, there's golf things happening today, but we were playing golf and he looked at his youth pastor and he said, hey, I've probably told you this before. And before he could finish the sentence, his youth pastor said to him, tell me. Like he cut him off and he was like, tell me. Like I want to know. And I was like, man, that is Awesome. Like, I, I love when someone is like, I don't even know what you're going to say. I don't care if you told me before. Tell me again. Like, if you have wisdom to put into my life, I want to hear it. And it's this idea of, like, being quick to listen. It's easy to get offended when someone says, hey, I see something you could be doing better. Like, even as simple as a golf swing or especially when you get into work or things around the household. But, but this is a training thing. This is a decision thing. And we've written this off as this is just how I am. And later in the passage, we'll see that it actually gets into this. But I want to begin, I want you to begin to grab a hold of the idea that my reaction to any given situation is just how I am. I want you to grab that idea and I want you to throw it out. Because it's not true. You choose. It's the decision how you react to these situations. And you may have to retrain yourself, which is why the scripture is giving this prescriptive idea. Like the whole reason it's presenting this is because it's not natural to us and it's something that we need to apply. We need to be quick to listen. And so when we get into these situations where someone begins to speak something to us or toward us, whether we think they get to have input or not, I want you to begin to condition yourself to say, what wisdom can I pull out of this? Even if they don't deserve to have the input to my life, are they saying something that might be helpful for me to understand? And move from that position of like, oh, my fists are balled up to like, okay, I'm listening. I'm going to receive something here. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak. Now, now the, the difficulty, I think, of being slow to speak, it, it goes back to that concept where if they would just understand, if they would just know the things that I knew, if they could just be as smart as I am, they would know not to disagree with me. And so this concept, it really is connected of being quick to listen because it's this concept of saying, okay, there's things that they might have to say that I might not know yet. I, they might surprise me this time. They, they might have something that's useful, and so I'm going to be quick to listen, and I'm going to be slow to speak because I don't think I need to cut them off. 
I don't think the biggest issue in this given situation is they don't have the information that I have. They don't have the opinion that I have. That's not the biggest issue. And in the, the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is a worldwide bestseller, one of the habits is seek to understand and then seek to be understood. And that principle, it's built off of this teaching in James 1. And it's seen that even when you remove this principle from scriptural context, that it still rings true, that it is still beneficial, that it will make you a more effective person when you seek to understand before you seek to be understood. Slow to become angry, it's both a result of quick to listen and it's a result of making that decision. Now, uh, one of the first points that I want, want to get to today is that you can, you can be right a lot. You can write the person you love right out of the relationship. You can have a coworker that you enjoy working with. You can have a person that you're dating or in a relationship that you care for. You can have a relationship with a child that, that you, you're right. You're right. It's, it's not negotiable that you're right, but the way that you utilize being right just pushes them all the way away. And, and what I want us to understand, it's not a situation of, am I right? Are they right? What, what is the end goal? What, what is the end goal of trying to help them understand and see things differently? Is it to elevate yourself or is it to help them in their life? Because really what they need to, to understand something well is they need to be understood first. And then one, once you achieve that, then they're gonna to begin to be open to what you have. Once you show them that you wanna hear what they have to say, they're gonna be more willing to hear what you have to say. And, and this is a super simple principle that I'm about to get to, and it's something that it's so simple that I almost don't need to say it, but I, I think that it, it helps reinforce the, this truth and this concept they're working through is this fact that when we're dealing with someone who we have a disagreement with, I mean, do you remember that everything that everyone does makes sense to them? Like when they react with that emotion, and we're going to put this up on the screen behind me, everything that everyone does makes sense to them. When they react with that emotion, it makes sense for them in that moment to react that way. Everything that they do, it makes sense to them. Everything that everyone says, what they're saying, it makes sense to them. Everything that everyone believes, because of what they've walked through in the past and the experiences and the evidence they have, it makes sense to them in that moment. But, but then there's that thing in us that, that says, you know, I, I don't know why they would do that. And go on to the next slide. I don't know why they would do that. I don't know why they would say that. I don't know why they would believe that. And, and we're so flabbergasted by the difference in thought, the difference in the way that they speak, the difference in what they believe, that, that we react with this, this emotional charge and this anger that actually closes the door of conversation. But if you want to look and see where the problem is within these two people, it, I mean, it, it's kind of right there in, in that side of, I don't know. Like when you say, okay, who needs the education? It's the person who says, I don't know. I, I don't know why they act that way. Well, maybe before we try to fix them, we should find out. I, I don't know why they talk that way. Well, maybe we need to investigate and ask some questions. I don't know why they believe that way. Well, maybe we need to allow them to speak some so that we can hear from them and, and then they in the same way can listen once they know that you genuinely care and you're not just trying to shove something down their throat. 
we often need to slow down in our desire to speak. We need to slow down in our emotional reaction of anger because the way that they're acting, it makes perfect sense to them. So we have to be slow. We have to be slow to speak. We've got to figure out what's going on in their life. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. In verse 20, it goes on and it says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, as a pastor, there have been plenty of times in my marriage where my wife, Tia, has accused me of being angry, and I, I say, I'm not angry, I'm just a little bit upset. I'm just disturbed. Pastors, they don't get angry, right? <laughs> and, you know, what's the difference between being upset or disturbed? It, well, it just sounds better. <laughs> Leave me alone. Like, I, it, when we get upset, the, the anger, it pushes us towards making rash decisions that aren't really in line with the things that we think. And, and anger, it does produce something in your life, but it usually produces regret. I, I mean, it, there, there's rare times, like there's times in Scripture, and I want to be clear about this, that anger in itself is not wrong. I mean, there's things, God, God says that he's angry about oppression in Scripture. There, there's times where, where there's jealousy described, like jealousy and anger, those aren't necessarily bad things, but in our life, the thing that they usually push us towards are usually bad things. And, and the, this human anger that's described in here, it says it does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, we usually get pushed to anger because we have a desire for rightness, not righteousness, we have a desire to be right and be seen as right and be acknowledged as right in the situation. And when we don't have that, then that anger pushes us to say things that shouldn't be said. And God looks at the situation and he says that this is not producing what I want from my children. And there's three, there's three agendas of kind of how this works. It's like it's our agenda. Like we're upset because our agenda isn't being met. We're having conflict because it's their agenda versus our agenda. But what this passage is trying to, I believe, push us towards is moving away from our agenda and their agenda and towards God's agenda. Because as we look at the situation, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. God has a desired outcome for your situation that you're walking through. How committed are we to God's outcome versus our outcome? How committed are we to our reputation instead of God's reputation. The, the outcome is what matters and the means is gonna lead us to that outcome. And, and there's other times in scripture where people did honestly what God wanted to end up happening, but like with, with Moses when he was leading the Israelites and he struck the rock and, and he provided water, which was what was needed for the situation, but his attitude and his anger was wrong. And, and so, so it, God, God had to deal with that in him. And so I want to just continue to dial in to the way that we express, the way that we react to situations, that there is that choice. That when our fists get clinched, once again, you know, quick to listen, quick to listen, quick to let go of that emotion, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is a teaching that we have to learn to apply to our life because when we don't, this human anger it ends up producing something in our life that is the opposite of what God desires. And it's also the opposite of what we desire too because what we really, in our heart, 
want is we want a close connection with that, with that spouse, with that loved one, with that coworker. We want things to be good, but we want things to be good showing that we're right. We want things to be good showing that we're the boss. We want things to be good showing that we're the one who's smarter. We want to be you know, right at each other, and God wants us to be right with each other. And this is the second point. We, we, need to, we need to analyze and we need to understand the fact that we often get dragged into these arguments and these problems in our life. We get dragged into these spots where our mouth kind of starts running because we want to be right at each other when we know if we stop and think, God wants us to be right with each other. And the anger that we naturally feel, it doesn't lead us towards that prize. It's like when you win the argument, what is the prize that you win? I mean, yes, you won the argument, but where is she now? Well, I don't know where she is. She left the house and she's gone, but I won. Like, let the record display that I won. And what prize did you win? Sleeping on the couch. Having the argument again later because no peace was made. It doesn't matter how right you feel in the moment if you don't get it right with the other person. And this goes right to the heart of God. I mean, God, God deals with things. In the life of Christ, it was lived to deal with the penalty of sin and pay for it. And the resurrection was, to sh- was, sh- was there to show that everything had been paid for, that, that Christ was victorior- victorious over sin and death. But the heartbeat of Christ's life, the heartbeat of the gospel is reconciliation. Bringing two parties who were separated by sin, together. And so let's not miss God's heartbeat and the way that he wants relationships to be. Don't think that because you're right, it doesn't matter that you hurt that other person. God's heart is for us to be right with each other, not to be the one who is just standing in the right. They were wrong. They deserved it. They, they deserved the words that I said. There was nothing that I said that was wrong. Everything that I said was accurate. But did you wound the other person in the process? Is your relationship with that other person right as you stand now, even if you feel justified in what you said? It's easy to win an argument and lose a person. In verse 21, the passage continues on, and it says, So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Now, now this picture where it says, so get rid of all the filth, in the Greek, the writing actually paints the picture of removing a coat, which I love in the context of this passage because it's, as it's talking about our anger and it's talking about the way that we react to situations, just kind of going back to that concept of this is just how I react. Like if you cross me like that, I'm gonna explode and that's who I am. But this passage, it, it, it talks about the removal of something that's just like an outer garment. This anger, it's something that you can take off and shed. And when it says evil in here, like we think of all kinds of like weird evil, a better term might be malice, words that are intended to cause harm to each other. So take off all of this filth, all of this evil, this malice that's in your lives, and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. This is the reality that every Christian needs to understand who struggles with the way that they respond in their speech is that the power of Christ in me is greater than anything else that has been a part of me in the past. 
These habits, the way that I speak, the words that come out of my mouth, this is something that I can shed like a coat. And for me to say that Christ in me is not enough to overcome my reactions and my words, I think it's really making too little of the power of the Spirit of God that Scripture says lives inside of you from the moment that you first believe. Because if he is there, this God who spoke the world into existence, the power of his words, it's not just his word that lives in you, that it's his spirit. And so for us to say, this is just who I am, this is just how I am, that is a false understanding of of the indwelling power of Christ in your life. When you've said, God, I'm yours, come and live in me, guide me, change me, Let's not sell God short as far as what he can do. But we, and what we've done is we've just lived in these excuses, but this is the light shining into that that dark area, into that, that reality in your life. If you've been living in that way, see it clearly now. You can shed that behavior like a winter coat in Florida. Don't need it. It's not beneficial. It's not producing the righteousness that God has in mind for you. But on the other side of that, so get rid of the the filth, the malice, the evil in your lives. And then the other side of that, and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. Now now, now this word, you know, it uses the picture of a seed. And this is so much like when we first make that decision to follow Christ, it's like we, there's, there's that spark. That's okay. There's something in here that is changed, but just like a seed, it grows. And as it grows, it has to push dirt and other things out of the way as it moves from something that's just internal and hard to see to something that grows out through the surface. And your past has probably provided enough fertilizer that it doesn't need any more of that in its life. Like people can see the difference. What they need to start seeing now is this evidence of Christ in your life. And we need to give him the authority to change these things, to change these behaviors. And it requires, as the verse says, humility. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save souls. And I'd say it doesn't just have the power to save souls. It has the power to save marriages. It has the power to save your job. It has the power to save the relationship with your children. It has the power to redirect the course of your life. But just like when we first said yes to Jesus, there's a decision required to say, God, I'm going to let you work in this area of my life. Band, you guys can go ahead and make your way out as I begin to wrap this up. And, and, and the, la- the last point that I want you guys to hear as, as I begin to close out this message is don't settle for being right, make things right. You know, I saw this play out in front of me with, with my wife and uh, one of her relatives, and we were up in Ohio, and it was one of those family get-togethers where it's like everything go- goes great until everything goes terrible. Like, have you been in that room before? You know what I'm talking about? And this time was one of those times where one of her family members just lost it for no reason. And they're getting ready to storm out of the house, and I'm just like, peace out. (laughs) Like, this is okay. I will see you never. Like, bye. Um, and, And yeah, I know. If God can use me as a pastor, he can use anybody. But that's just honestly 
where I was. And I'm not saying that was right, but that's where I was. And my wife, who is, you know, just better in all areas, she saw the situation better than I did. Because I was right. Like, we were right. Everyone else in the room was right. The person storming out, they were not right. But my wife, like, her heart is right. And so she, she went out and she chased them down. And Tia wasn't concerned about who was right. She was concerned about, are we right with each other? And it would have been so easy for her, for me, um, for her to do what I was already doing and just say, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. There's no reason for me to chase you. But that's not God's desire for the way that we live our lives. And it's not enough for us to just know that we should be making relationships, with right, making relationships right with other people. Verse 22 really closes this section and shifts to the next section really well. When verse 22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. The book of James is really heavy on this track, um, as the rest of scripture is, but James just really just hits you right in the stomach with it. Knowing this stuff doesn't really do anything for you. There has to be a connection and a desire in our heart to say yes to God. The way that we said yes to him when we first believed has to be the way that we say yes to him in these areas of our life when he begins to show you and say, I need you to reach out even though they don't deserve it. I need you to show love and care and affection even though they are guilty and you are right. I need you to be as an ambassador of Christ, carrying this grace, this forgiveness that is the same as what I've shown you. Because there is no separation between Christ and his ways. When we say yes to Christ, we are saying yes to his ways. So church, Many people recognize Christ as Savior, but they never put their trust in him and his ways. Let's not keep those things separated anymore. And I desire this for myself. I desire this for you because when we begin to live this way, it's described as like the kingdom of heaven on earth. Relationships the way that we've desired them to be when we decide we're going to get to that, that end of the way they should be, not by doing this, by loving the way that Christ loved, by forgiving the way that Christ forgave, by speaking the way that Scripture teaches us to speak. And I know that's a hard challenge, but it's a challenge that we have to grab a hold of pray. Father, I thank you so much that from the moment that we said yes to you, you begin to plant a seed that grows into something bigger than we could have dreamed. And small yes by small yes, you change our lives in incredible ways. And so as you are speaking to us today about the way that we speak, as you're speaking to us today about the way that we react with anger, 
Help us to trust you. When we feel a fear that someone's not gonna respect us, when we feel a fear that we're not gonna be heard, help us to trust you that you will make peace, that you will be just in the end as we honor you in the way that we live our life. And so we respond with a yes to the challenge you put on our heart today. We will be slow to speak. We will be quick to listen. We will be slow to become angry because we know your ways are higher and your ways are better. In Jesus' name.